Hello, listeners. This is Pace coming in just to tell you that we are starting to, with this episode, insert audible content warnings. So for all of our past episodes, we included content warnings in the show notes, which you can look at. But we re- received a request from one of our listeners to start including them in the episodes themselves, which I and Joe both absolutely agree with. And so starting with this episode, we have content warnings um, in the episodes themselves. For our back catalog, we hope to add them in sometime in between season one and season two. So for our back catalog, please look at our episode descriptions for content warnings for those. But going forward, Hopefully you'll hear them all as part of the episode itself. So for this episode, um, our content warnings include nightmares, crucifixes, religious-based queerphobia, and toxic church leadership. Now back to your regular scheduled episode. Greetings! You're listening to Horror Nerds at Church, a podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about what it can teach us about God, the Bible, and each other. Today is our second minisode, which is really fun and exciting. Um, We are planning that a minisode will come out probably once every two weeks, and basically these are just your real-life horror stories from church, which can be supernatural stories, ghost stories, or just the church or people in the church being horrific. So, (laughs) yep. Uh, If you have any stories you want to send to us, um, you can do so at horrornerds at church, H-O-R-R-O-R-N-E-R-D-S-A-T-C-H-U-R-C-H at um, gmail.com. So that time that I accidentally got myself entangled with with an evangelical megachurch, does that count as a horror story? Quite possibly. (laughs) Very likely. All right. So we have two stories today. Um, I guess, who wants to read the first one? Um, Why don't you do the honors, Pace? Okay, so the first story was sent to us from JR in San Diego, um, which she presented us a story we read last time, too. Uh, This one is called Sorophobia, which if you're not familiar with that word, it's the fear of crucifixes. So she writes... Okay, so fear of crucifixes is a real thing, the basis of which has religious roots. As a queer kid with starophobia growing up in a staunchly Roman Catholic environment, it was hell. I grew up reading and watching horror movies without any fear or nightmares at all. Horror movies didn't scare me, but church? Terrifying. It all started when I was around 10 or 11 years old. I started having nightmares of Jesus jumping off of crosses, covered in holes and blood running everywhere after me and terrorizing me to the point where he would spit in my um, voice or spit in my face, I guess, tell me I was vile, treacherous, sinful creature. This nightmare would become a reoccurring one. Then I made the mistake of watching an Unsolved Mysteries episode late at night because I couldn't sleep, nightmares and all that. 
the blinking crucifix of Holy Trinity Church in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, which wasn't too far from where I grew up. This miracle was basically the statue of Jesus on a cross whose eyes would slowly open and close, and then tears would fall from his eyes. I was horrified. Of course, I had the crucifix nightmare again that night. Same thing, angry, spitting, Jesus covered in blood and thorn. Eventually, it would get to the point where I could not look at any of the crucifixes around me and would avoid rooms containing them all together. In places where I couldn't, like church, I would just not look up and stare at the floor, counting down the minutes until services were over. Then fear, slowly fear of crucifixes morphed into anything that depicted Jesus being tortured, art, statues, etc. Those fucking head busts that people in my family had on their walls where Jesus's eyes followed you everywhere. I couldn't take it. I had the dreams until I was 19 years old. The last one was the worst. I was a college student then and had laid down for a nap before dinner time. It started off the same, Jesus jumping from the cross and chasing me. Then this pseudo-Jesus multiplied. They finally caught me and tore me apart, spitting on me, stabbing me with their thorns, and screaming in Latin. I was a vile worm bound for the depths of hell. I cried out the only thing I could think of to save me, the Lord's Prayer. And somehow I woke up, scrambling for the door and calling for help, still in that state between dreaming and waking. I caught a look at my reflection in the mirror and saw that my eyes were so dilated that they were almost black. I blinked, then came to, with the distinct feeling that I had been through a battle. It was the last time I had ever... I ever had a dream like that. Gradually, I became okay with being in rooms with religious art. Today, I still prefer to stay away from the vivid, realistic portrayals of the crucifixion. I'm in my mid-30s now and long gone from my Catholic upbringing. I have no explanation for this other than the fact that it was around 10 or 11 that I was starting to realize that I was queer and really wrestling with what that meant. That coincided with the nightmares. It wasn't until I was 19 that I finally truly accepted my queer identity and overcame the religious guilt. Is it a coincidence that the nightmare stopped then? Who knows? Or maybe I'm just a queer-ass vampire, she writes with a smiley face. I think you're a queer-ass vampire. I like that (laughs) explanation. But wow, what a story, JR. First of all, thank you for sharing that vulnerability. I have to say, this was a... This one was visceral and uh, leave it, leave it to the Roman Catholic church (laughs) to produce this kind of horror story. That's for sure. Yeah. It's, it is really creepy. I mean, you, I used to suffer from bad dreams as a kid all the time growing up too. Yeah. And just that feeling of being so helpless and then to be tied in with religious art. So creepy. Like, I feel like, as I was reading it, I could see it like playing out like a horror movie in my head. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. JR, you have a very good way of describing some of this stuff because like it was very visual in my head as I was reading it. Yeah, I I hope, JR, you are able to have um, happier and more joyful things to write about with this, <laughs> with this talent <laughs> for the written word that you have. Write and dream about, hopefully. Indeed. Yeah. And 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 JR JR's story is an example of each uh, one of the kinds of church horror related sto- horror related stories related to church and and religion uh, that uh, we look forward to hearing from you. That this next story is it's it's a horror story of the different kind. It is a horror story about the realities of church bureaucracy. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and it comes from a good friend of mine who I've known since uh, since we were young. Um, uh, she's going by the name Tracy. 
uh, for this story. And like I said, we've known each other all of our lives. And so <laughs> uh, her writing style, I don't know, it just kind of sounds like the thing I would write. <laughs> um, but anyway, this is called Killed with Kindness by my childhood friend, Tracy. Mine is the story of a beautiful and closeted gay white woman from the South who moved to New York to become the whole gay Christian that I am today. I just want to interject here by saying that Tracy is from Maryland, and Maryland is forever um, in, in debate about whether or not it is a southern state or a mid-Atlantic state. <laughs> I'm happy to say that my mom and most of my family embraced me after I came out. My sister still has a lot of work to do, but that's fine. We haven't been close in a long time, especially since she said she liked Donald Trump. She didn't even vote in the 2016 election, though, so I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing. Now, you might think I'm vain for calling myself beautiful. Have you ever watched The Golden Girls? The portrayal by Rue McClanahan of a Southern Belle isn't far off the mark. We tend to puff, our, we tend to puff ourselves up, but it's such a well-known trait of who we are in the South, or Maryland, <laughs> um, that no one really minds when we do that. They just expect us to do it. Then there's the fact that I am bi. Bi plus being a bi-queer plus Southern roots equals a lot of sass. But no matter how much sass you have or not, we're all still human. So it was very disappointing when a lot of my ideas at church were dismissed. I had settled down in Queens and started attending a nice little church in the PCUSA. The PCUSA is the most progressive wing of the Presbyterian denomination, or so I was led to believe. The thing is, I spent about a year going to this church and had a great time as a parishioner and a member of the community. We never had any separate small groups for queer folks because there were so many of us that sometimes we outnumbered the straight folks in some of the Bible studies and prayer groups. It really was the best year of my life. I had a good job and I spent most of my free time at church living into my faith as my whole queer self. We read the queer Bible commentary a lot and we did a lot of service projects for teens who had been kicked out of their homes. When I was asked to become a church elder, I was really surprised, humbled and excited all at the same time. I thought of it as a vocational calling. Here was my chance to help make some decisions in the life of the church. I think the first surprise I had when I became an elder was how many other elders there were whom I had never met or rarely ever saw at church. Also, they were much older than I was. They were literally elders, and they turned out to be not as progressive as I was expecting. There was one meeting where two of the older men actually said that we should cut out the queer Bible commentary because, quote, it could be offensive to regular straight people, end quote. My anxiety went through the roof for the first time in over a year. I was sitting at this meeting in an increasingly claustrophobic space as these old guys went on and on about how to reach out to the regular straight people. I was surprised they didn't bother to say we should stop letting queer people into the church altogether. 
I was so surprised and mad that I didn't speak up at the meeting. But another elder and I were taking the same train back home, and I really went off. That elder explained to me that the two guys had a lot of sway in the church because they were responsible for most of the endowment. My heart sank. That was when I realized paradise was over and that a church is just another collection of people forcing each other to follow inhumane rules and trying to make money. I lost all concept of Jesus at that point. There was no spirit in that church for me anymore. I know things could have been worse. I could have ended up at a more openly unaffirming and homophobic church. I know how lucky and privileged I was to find such a great community. But I was really unhappy with being an elder. There was almost no progressive work happening. Without saying so many words, all they wanted to do was preserve the status quo. The final straw came for me when I proposed that we apply for a spot in the Pride Parade. They said no, and they used money as an excuse. No one ever saw me mad in public until I walked out of that meeting. This is my church horror story because now I feel lost and adrift, like a boat drifting on the ocean with nowhere to go. I want to be rescued, but there's no one around for miles. I get weak and dizzy as if I'm hungry and stranded at sea, except that the feeling comes from how I needed to leave the church community I called home, because even though it was home, it was also performative. Luckily, I'm still social with my friends from that church, but I don't go to any of their services or events anymore, and that really makes me sad. Institutions are terrible. They stab you in the back, at least in a slasher movie. When the killer comes at you, it's not exactly a secret. You know when you're about to die. Oh, Tracy... I am so sorry. And, you know, you hear iterations about that um, from a lot of other folks in church leadership positions. No, thank you, Tracy. That story is, thank you for sharing um, and being vulnerable with us with that story. And also uh, exactly like what Joe was saying, that's far too common a story, especially for queer people. I hear it so much going through stuff like that at a church. Um, Mm Maybe Matt will write in a story, horror story about this, so I won't give too many details. But my husband, when he started at a church in Castro Valley, California, um, there's a parishioner who wrote this really mean, hard hearted, and mean spirited letter Un- about him. Unchristian. A very unchristian letter about him and me working at that church uh, as a queer married couple. Um, and it was them hiring my spouse, which was the, and I was already working there for a few months at that point. And them hiring my spouse too was, I guess, the, what instigated her to write this letter. It was just very, but, but like that, that happens to us queer folks so much in the church. And it's just so disgusting. So, I, so I see you, Tracy, and I'm so sorry that happened to you. And mm. um, hopefully by sharing your story like this, uh, other people can come forward too, because they have like, it happens a lot, and I think we need to talk about it so it can change. Absolutely, and I'm sorry that happened to you and Matt. <sighs> I'm sure you have stories like that, too, so you don't have to go into them, but just... Absolutely, yeah. You know. Well, we'd love to hear from you, so submit your own story to be read by us at church at gmail.com. Remember, we'll take super horror, super horror, not, not super, super horror. Well, I there mean, we if... Go. 
if something really horrifying happened to you and you want to share it, then then by all means. But we'll take supernatural, ghost stories, scary stories, being people being bureaucrats, and 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 that sort of thing. Uh, until next time, y'all. Take care. Take care. Bye.